up, everybody? It is me. It is me. It is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega coming to you for the first time in a very long time with a very special episode 98 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Yes, folks, I believe it has been weeks since I last spoke to you, the tens of ones out there in the audience, and it has been for a variety of reasons. The stars have just been aligning in such a way that has made podcasting particularly difficult of late. Some of it, as those of you who listen to the show may know, I have uh, returned to work outside the home in a part-time capacity as a substitute teacher, and while that's not really enough on its own to make it difficult to record, there's been that component of my schedule, just added with a lot of bad luck, certain days where I thought I was going to be free, things have cropped up, uh, kids have needed things, just just different happenings here and there have all conspired to have me off the air for a few weeks in a row. That, coupled with the fact that um, uh, I've always mentioned uh, over the 98, going on 98 episodes of the show, how at times, um, because of the format of the show, because the show is a show about nothing, because the show is a show about a very ordinary, average, uninteresting individual attempting to mine that ordinary, average, uninteresting life for content that I can share with you, the listening audience, because of that, I find myself faced with bouts of, um, I guess you would call it speaker's block, uh, where I just don't really have that much to talk about. And that's been going on lately, too. There's just not a whole lot going on in the life sensational that in good faith I can turn into material that would be appropriate for this particular show on this particular network. But be that as it may, I'm not ready for the dream to die. I didn't want to just fade off into, fade into Bolivian, as the great Mike Tyson once said. I did not want to fade into Bolivian or Bolivia, fade into Bolivia. I can't remember if he said Bolivian or Bolivia. He was going to fade into one of the two. I believe that was after he, was that after he lost to Lennox Lewis? Um, do you remember that fight? It was uh, Lennox versus Tyson, and they put the names on top of each other so that the two names combined to say, it's on, because it was going to be this amazing super fight, although it just wasn't, because uh, Iron Mike, who uh, my favorite boxer of all time, was uh, long past his uh, prime. The mystique had worn off. He was no longer what he once was, but the fight happened anyway, and I believe it was after that fight. might have been some other fight when he was washed up. It was whenever I think he newly had his um, sort of wannabe Maori face tattoo, and I remember uh, he got soundly drubbed. It was, a, it was a sound drubbing, and when he was being interviewed after the fight, he said he did not know what uh, the future held for him next. That perhaps, perhaps he would simply fade into either Bolivia or Bolivian. Um, either way, I believe what he probably meant to say was oblivion, but that is not what he said because he's Iron Mike and he's come up, he, he's, he, he's, uh, famous for 
those great Iron Mike, what are they called, malpropisms? Um, some of his stuff is just weird quotes. Some of it is like saying things in the wrong way. Um, one of my favorite Iron Mike quotes that, that oftentimes um, comes to mind quite a lot. Um, I heard it once. It got stuck in my head. And then sometimes when I'm like bumming on something, uh, this quote comes to mind and then it cracks me up and then I, I, I'm riding high once again. But it was uh, the quote that he had, um, I hate my life. Maybe in my next life, I'll have a better life. I, I think that sometimes when I feel like the chips are down, when the deck is stacked against old Gino V, I just think to myself, Ugh, I hate my life. Maybe in my next life, I'll have a better life. And then I realize one only gets one life. So as, as, as a tattoo that the uh, UFC fighter, I believe it was Gray Maynard, uh, once had emblazoned across his chest, one life, roll the dice. So wishing, hating one's life and wishing for a better life seems like sort of a fool's errand because um, I, I'm, I'm sure there are situations where you can have a hateful life um, mine is not one of them. Although it's easy for all of us to fall into that uh, well of despair, well of self-pity, and, and get on the hating life train. Um, for most of us, for, for anyone listening to this show, if you're in the demographic that has the means and the ability to listen to a podcast about nothing made by an amateur, you have the, you have the, the technology to listen to it, the spare time to listen to it, your life is probably... Not so bad that you should hate your life. Um, and when it comes to hoping for a better life than the next life, I mean, I don't know. I guess there's different schools of thought. Maybe maybe you believe that, that, that there is some kind of afterlife. Maybe you believe that there's some sort of reincarnation so you could have a better life in your next life. But be that as it may, particularly with the reincarnation argument, I don't think you'll necessarily remember your previous life, the life that you hated, so you won't even realize that you have a better life. So it's a funny quote. It cracks me up hearing it in Iron Mike's voice, and it makes me put my own life in perspective when I am in one of those um, mood funks. Bringing it back to the original point, though, um, I did not want to fade into Bolivia or Bolivian as pertains to my presence on the podcasting airwaves as Mr. Sensational Gino Vega bringing you the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. I, I Once you're off for several weeks in a row, it starts to feel more and more like it's time to throw in the towel, like it's time to give it up, like it's time to, uh, to, to make the final curtain call. But um, even though the further and further you get from the microphone, the, the, the stronger that pull to just stay away forever becomes. Not because I, I don't want to do it. It just, you know, 95% of podcasting is habit, is is just doing it on a regular basis. Um, as strong as the pull becomes, it just seems weird after, well, it would have been after 97 episodes to just fall off the face of the earth and never be heard from again. Uh, the tens of ones, I don't even know it's 10 anymore. I think it's like the fives of ones. Um, I would feel bad. Just, just, just never, never. Well, I don't really get to speak with you cause I don't hear back. You know, it's a one way conversation, but I would feel weird. Not no longer, um, haranguing you no longer, um, talking to engineer nerd, talking to one teen Wundle out there, just disappearing without a trace. I, I would rather, um, 
rather keep it going or if it's going to end, wind it down um, in person, not just from a lack of uh, a lack of presence, if that makes any sense. Like if, I'm, if I was going to stop doing it, I'd rather have a countdown of a few episodes and tell you about it than just you never hear from me again. So here we are. We're back, baby. Um, yet still faced with a problem of... Uh, very little to speak of, exacerbated by the fact that, man, I really, um, one thing I'm not enjoying about middle age is um, I never used to forget things. And I've been forgetting more and more things lately. And I don't mean like, it's not like Alzheimer's, dementia, something like that. But it's just like, once you've been alive for long enough, you can't hang on to every single train of thought that's ever gone through your mind. And I used to be able to do that. Used to be able to remember every story that I'd been part of or privy to, remember every person I'd ever met, remember every name, every face, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, you can do that when you're working with 20 years of material. You can kind of still hang on when you're working with 30 years of material. Once you're pushing 50 years of material, it's just like... Not as easy anymore. So half the time when it comes to doing the show, I want to be I want to be spontaneous. I want it to be improv, and something flashes through my mind. Oh, I can talk about X, and then the second I plug in the blue snowball microphone that's actually orange, it has slipped my mind and has gone forever into the ether until until probably I finish recording and then I remember. Oh yeah, I was going to talk about X. Um, so that's a challenge too. But uh. I do have a few things to talk about today. I did. I plumbed the depths. I've come up with a few things. Um, so at least ha- have a, a bit of material on this very special episode 98. I want to start things off. I want to start things off with uh, um, a loss that was experienced recently in the Vegaverse. Now, I don't know if this is a new phenomenon, relatively new. It feels new to me. I don't know, and when new, I mean like over the last 10, 15 years. Um, I don't know if it is new or if it feels new to me just because with the advent of social media, the way that we're made aware of things or the way we see social chatter has changed. It's more uh, front and center. But I feel like um, when it comes to various fandoms, fandoms where you as a uh, consumer of content are watching something that involves a human being that you don't know, will likely never know, um, performing. I feel like when I was young, you know, you liked a band, you liked an actor you saw in a movie, um, you liked a professional athlete. I guess people got kind of weird about athletes even back then and actors. But I, I just feel like with these kind of performers... When I was young, one would become a fan of the performance. And one one would like, you know, admire, be a fan of the performer. But the performer would be seen as just that, as a performer. Like, not necessarily as a real human being held to the same standards that you would hold people in your own life. I feel like with over the last 10 or 15 years, fandom has shifted. And again, I do think that this is influenced by social media with the fact, too, that these performers now are much more seemingly accessible, too. Like, when uh, I was a little kid and Star Wars was famous, Harrison Ford wasn't giving us his every thought on everything coming down the pike via Twitter, for instance. Now actors do that. Now celebrities do that. Um, I feel like with the fandom now, 
there's this idea that the performer is one's friend. Like, one has an intimate relationship with a performer. And furthermore, the performer, it's not enough just to be a fan of the performance. You have to, they have to convince you that they are a quote-unquote good person. There has to be a certain moral or ethical substance attached to the performer or the performance, too. Which is a little bit odd to me. I mean, I understand not wanting to be a fan of something where you know that the performer in real life is involved in just some truly like reprehensible crime or something. And I understand a certain amount of discomfort with that. At the same time, this feeling of intimacy that people have with performers, I feel very strange about because even if you think you've, you've read every tweet that your favorite performer has, you've read every gossip column about him, every biography, it's still, you don't really know this person. You, you know how they have successfully portrayed themselves to the world publicly, but you don't really know the person. That's fine. You don't need to know the person. Oh, excuse me. I have a timer going off telling me that a batch of mozzarella sticks is done unfreezing in the oven. I'll be right back. And with the magic of editing, I am right back. Had some uh, excellent, or I guess maybe mediocre, mozzarella sticks. Um, But I'm back with you now. Uh, What I was saying was, uh, um, oh, performers, celebrities, uh, the the focus of our fandom. Um, Yes, there seems to be this very to me, cloying need for them to not just be something that we can enjoy watching, but to be friends, confidants, great people that we look up to. Um, And I've always found this to be odd. Like I say, I feel like it's been extreme, put on steroids, as it were, over the last 10 to 15 years. But now that I think back, there's always been a certain kernel of that when it comes to um, admiring performers, admiring celebrities. I, I Even when I was a kid, I remember it felt weird because it's like people have so much um, wrapped up in these people that they do not know, will never know, and are really just a representation. You know, they're not a real person insofar as being in our lives. I mean, they're a real person in their own life, I'm sure, I guess, if they actually exist. But, you know, we don't even, you know, we don't even see them in the flesh half the time. They're an image. People have endless uh, interest and uh, and appetite for treating um, these, uh, you know, imaginary people. I don't, and again, I don't mean they're imaginary in their own life, but I mean to you sitting at home, seeing them on a TV screen or a phone screen or whatever, what have you. Endless appetite and interest for spending uh, energy. And thought and time and feeling like you have a relationship with these imaginary people. But then half the time, people can't even, they they don't even have uh, two words to share with, you know, real people in their lives because the real people are boring. Um, It's very odd, to me at least. Um, Works for you. It works for you. That's great. Uh, As I've said before on the show, to each their own. And when I'm ranting like this, if if it's something that you're into, that's cool. But I got to come up with content, my friends. Um... So yeah, so one of the strangest manifestations that I, I have seen of this over the last decade or so is, um, and part of it is because it's one of the fandoms that I have um, at various times been extremely close to, 
but um, is a whole deal with uh, professional wrestlers. Uh, professional wrestlers, people who by trade, by trade, are paid liars, are paid con men, are paid manipulators. The whole point of professional wrestling, even more so than regular acting or anything, is they are selling you on an image. They're selling you on something that doesn't exist. They are selling you on the idea that there's some kind of drama or conflict that you're watching that is presented as real. Um, and I mean, I know in this day and age, we all know it's quote-unquote fake, but the, 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 the structure is still there, that, that they are, are spinning a yarn. You know, they're, they're selling you on a con to where... Professional wrestling at its best, and part of why I don't really watch it that much anymore is because it hardly ever, for me, reaches this level anymore. Professional wrestling at its best, doesn't matter how much you've heard, oh, no, no, it's fake, oh, no, 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 it's... You watch it, you totally forget about it, and you buy into the con that you're being sold. And when, when it hits that note, to me, it's the best art form known to man. Because it's become so hokey and jokey and ironic now, um, where... Professional wrestling is presented as, ha ha, it's fake. Let's cite it, it. The way that most professional wrestling is now, it would be like if you were watching an episode of Mad Men and Don Draper kept making jokes about um, how he was actually the actor John Hamm portraying the character Don Draper. Like, he, like this was part of the script. He, he, they would be doing this in an episode of Mad Men. That's what wrestling has devolved into um, in its current state. From my perspective. Um, But anyway, so art form or the whole point is you're supposed to be selling people on something that's false. Um, And I guess maybe some of this dovetails with the fact that now it's presented as ironic instead of really the the beautiful con that it used to be. Um, What goes along with that is now... You have all these fans that become convinced that all the wrestlers are like their friends and all the wrestlers are great guys. When really, if you look at the history of wrestling, some really sketchy individuals tend to be... uh, No aspersion if you're a wrestler out there, but I'm just saying. Historically, it has been an industry that has uh, really um, been comprised of weirdos, misfits, unsavory characters. And again, to me, that used to be part of what was so appealing about it. I didn't want to see... You know, uh, the Boy Scout next door uh, ranting and raving, cutting a promo about a fake fight he was going to have with some other crazy individual. I wanted to see weirdos. I wanted to see miscreants. It was what was fun about it. There was sort of an outlaw feeling to wrestling. But now, nope. Wrestlers are our friends. Wrestlers are the greatest guys and gals that have ever walked the earth. And when one of these individuals expires... And I certainly don't mean to make any light of individuals expiring. But when it happens in wrestling nowadays, there tends to be a huge outpouring of R.I.P.s. And that's fine. I totally understand it. Uh, But they're not R.I.P.s, rest in pieces. And in fact, half the time, Wundle, I'm talking to you in particular, they don't even say rest in peace anymore. They say this weird rest in power Like, you're not going to let the poor person go off into peace. Like, one would hope, after all of this, uh, all of the uh, conflict and contrast and uh, pain and nausea that is being alive, that once it's over, there would be a peace. But no, no, we have to rest in power now for some reason. Wundle, talking to you. (laughs) 
Yeah, kidding, folks. If you if you, if you like that term, that that's fine. I'm, I, it's it's a bit. I'm 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 uh, giving a virtual noogie to listener Teen Wundle um, by making fun of that. But um, no, but 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 seriously though, um, I understand when a performer that you enjoyed watching expires. There's a certain mourning that happens, and we're going to talk about that in one second. But I think that if we were being honest, it's more of a mourning of what our memories of watching that individual meant in our life. It's mourning a time period in our own life. It's mourning an era in our own life. Um, Versus, I mean, if you're really, like, personally, like, distraught on a personal level that you would be... You know, if grandma died or, you know, your cousin died. I mean, I guess if you, if you really honestly feel that way about these um, imaginary people. And by, by imaginary, again, I mean it because you only know them as an image. If you really feel that way, who am I to police that? More power to you. I feel like to me, though, they're just... They're, this is not real. This is not authentic. Um, but I think what it does happen is people do have very authentic mourning about, you know, what the passing of these imaginary people means about their own life changing and shifting and time passing. And so we're going to talk about that loss that I mentioned in the Vega verse. And I will add, usually, when it comes to professional wrestlers expiring, any random individual who's ever set foot in the squared circle gets an endless flood of RIPs on social media. I did not see a single RIP for this individual. And so because of that, I'm a little, I'm a little miffed. I'm a little, little bent, a little bent out of shape. So without further ado, I would like to offer my own fond RIP to a wrestler known, I'm going to call him the genius. Some may choose to call him Lanny Poffo or Leaping Lanny Poffo, and we'll get into that. To me, he is the genius. And yes, he uh, left this mortal coil sometime within the last week or so. I can't remember exactly which day it was. But like I said, for some reason, I saw very little chatter about it online. And so I was just... um, hazing um, the aforementioned Teen Wundle online about not RIPing the genius. You know, I, I gave Teen Wundle a virtual wedgie about it. And Teen Wundle said, oh, but I did. I, I did a story on Instagram. Well, Teen Wundle, I'm not on Instagram. So how am I going to know? But anyway, I um, had posted giving a hard time about it, and it led someone else to come out of the woodwork and say that they themselves – didn't even know that the genius had died. Didn't know that Lanny Poffo was dead. Oh, yeah. They didn't even know. So um, that uh, inspired me to um, quickly pen the following, which I will share with you. And then I will explain what's going on to those of you who may have no idea what I'm talking about. <clears throat> but without further ado, and for those of you who are, are in, in on the con... Those of you who are in on the kayfabe, you'll know what I'm talking about. In response to someone saying, wow, Lanny Poffo died? I say, 
Little did you know it, the world's smartest man is dead. No longer pinning Hogan with a hand behind his head. His frisbee's all but grounded, dearest Lanny leaps no more. Yet still he stands the tallest in a world full of boars. Yes, um, so Lanny Poffo was a wrestler who had um, a whole career before he became the genius. He's actually the brother of Randy Macho Man Savage. Oh, yeah, in case you didn't know that. <coughs> Good Lord. Macho Man voice just shredding my <coughs> throat. I apologize. Ooh, unprofessional. But, uh, yeah, uh, Lanny Poffo and Randy Poffo. Was that actually his real name? I think it was, yeah. Uh, were the sons of Angelo Poffo. Also a wrestler. So big wrestling family. We all know, I mean, I'm sure even if you've never followed a lick of wrestling in your life, you've heard of Macho Man and Slim Jim and all that. Yeah? Dig it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. The cream always rises to the top, and that's why you've heard of the Macho Man. Also, because Bonesaw is ready. But um, you may not be as familiar with his brother, the genius, but um, as many... Wrestlers who were active in the 1980s. Lanny Poffo was someone that wrestled as himself, as Lanny Poffo, as Leapin' Lanny Poffo. And he would write these horrible rhymes, these limericks, and uh, tape them to frisbees and throw them out to people in the crowd. He was like a cheerful good guy wrestler, a baby face as they call him. But um, as was the case with many wrestlers in the 1980s, if you wrestled for the World Wrestling Federation, the WWF, the company run by Vince McMahon that became kind of the industry standard, the industry-leading wrestling promotion by way of Hulkamania in the 1980s, they were um, prone to taking people with just kind of normal wrestling personas like Lanny Poffo, like a just regular Joe Schmo name like that, and turning them into a more outlandish, as they call them in the wrestling business, gimmick. So Lanny Poffo, they took the rhyme thing, they turned him into a bad guy. They had him start wearing a graduation robe. You know, like one of those graduation hats where they call them like a letterboard or whatever and a gown. Um, and he would still do the rhymes. And he would read these rhymes he wrote, which were similar to the one that I recited um, at the beginning of this reminiscence. Um but he, his rhymes were really annoying. They're about how he was the smartest man in the world. He was the greatest man. He was better than all the other wrestlers. He was so, so much smarter than everyone. Um, and he was the genius. That became his character, this evil character, the genius. But the genius hit at a time for me. Let me see what year this was. This was in 1989. So it wasn't the, the genesis of my wrestling fandom was... 86 when I was 10 years old. But this is when I was 13 and I was still deep in the thick of it and um, still taking it very seriously. I um, knew that there had to be something up with wrestling, but I, I felt like the, the in-ring stuff, the matches were, were quote-unquote fake, as, as people call it. But I thought that the characters themselves were real. Like, I thought that the genius really went around acting like that in real life. And I thought that all of the, the, the they actually, all the, all the uh, players legitimately hated each other. I did believe that. And I believed that they had to work together in the ring to a certain extent, but that the, the feuds and everything were based on real stuff. And I would find out years later that, that that was hit or miss. Sometimes there was reality involved, sometimes there wasn't. But that's what was so compelling to me about the genre as a child. And I remember in 1989... 
I've been watching Hulk Hogan for years, and my entire wrestling fandom came by way of back in 86, when I was 9 or 10, in fourth grade, ordering a book through a scholastic book order, if you remember those, book order through the school where you would mark down the books you wanted, your parents give you money, you'd send the orders, the slip to your teacher, and then like a couple months later, these books would show up that you bought. I bought this one, and I don't even know why I bought it, because I didn't really know what wrestling was. I guess it just looked interesting to me. But I bought this book that was like Hulk Hogan's Road to the Championship or something, and it was chronicling all it was all the matches that Hulk Hogan went through, all the all the heel evil wrestlers that he fought en route to becoming champion of the WWF, and then going on his long run of Hulk Hulkamania that you may remember from the 1980s. But I found it so compelling that there was this whole rogues gallery he had to go through, and not only that. Because as a kid in the 80s, you just thought there was only one champion ever in wrestling, and it was Hulk Hogan. But by reading this book, I realized, oh, no, 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 no. The Iron Sheik at one time had been champion, and Hogan beat the Iron Sheik to become champion himself. And being a kid, not realizing how the wrestling business worked, I then went on to believe that anytime I watched a wrestling television program, anytime I watched a televised wrestling match, that, uh, how should I say this? I You know... The way that wrestling actually works, there's only like a handful of people that are ever going to win world titles. It's not, wrestlers are not all created equal. You have your, you know, pyramid shape up at the top. You have the the 1% or whatever of the main adventures, the, the, the title holders, especially back in the 80s when it was very live events driven business. And the whole point of the champion was to be the biggest drawing person that you could put on all the posters and get all the, all the kids to come to the shows. And then that pyramid went down. You had kind of like the upper mid-level uh, people, the real middle of the pack, all the way down to the enhancement talent down at the bottom who lost every match they ever had. Um, and they were only around to make, you know, have to be someone for the 1% to beat. I didn't understand that. I thought that anyone in the ring had as equal a chance as anyone else of winning a match and someday becoming world champion. And that was really my investment for my entire childhood of watching wrestling. Because I would see all these wrestlers, I'd pick ones I liked, that I would hope that someday, eventually, they'd get their, their, their shot at the title and they might win. And it didn't really occur to me that through this entire time, it was just, it was all Hogan all the time. But by 89, by 1989, I think I started to realize that this Hulk Hogan thing was getting kind of long in the tooth. And how come none of the people that uh, I found interesting ever managed to beat him. But finally, here comes the genius in his res- all of his splendor. And I found him to be a captivating character. If you've never seen him or heard him speak, because I can't really, I can do a macho man impersonation, kind of, but I can't really do a genius one. I can do fake genius limericks, I think, pretty well, but I can't do them in his voice the right way. So Google the genius... Look at what a weirdo this guy looks like. Look, listen to how bizarre he sounds. And this is a weird thing I was thinking about just last night. I was talking to Ms. S. about, about the passing of the genius. And I was thinking, how bizarre is that? That somewhere out in the world, some couple procreated both the genius and Macho Man Randy Savage. That's weird. That's wild. Anyway, um, I found the the first I saw the genius on some promotional thing leading up to an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event, which was the the thing that they used to put on television every couple of months on NBC to get you hopped up for upcoming pay-per-views. Like, there'd be like... (coughs) Excuse me. 
These days in wrestling, there's so much wrestling, there's too much wrestling, it's on way too much. WWE, as it's now called, it used to be F, it's now E, has two flagship shows a week for five hours of content overall every week. And that's not even counting like secondary content or whatever. Just the main content, five hours of television every single week. When I was a kid, you know, you just got breadcrumbs here and there. And then if you got lucky, you would eventually get a Saturday night's main event that would have an actual match with some meat to it. And then that would be leading up to, you know, a WrestleMania, a Royal Rumble, one of these pay-per-view events where really the main thing went down. So it's like everything else was an infomercial leading towards the major shows. And Saturday night's main event was just like one tier below the major show. It one tier in between the infomercials and the main main shows. So I saw the genius um, and he was promoting the fact that he was going to have a match against Hulk Hogan on this Saturday night's main event. I'm looking right here. It was Saturday night's main event 25 on November 5th, 1989. And I was so geeked out to watch this for some reason. The genius has struck such a chord in me. I remember spending the night at a friend's house that night. And the friend was kind of like, eh, about wrestling. Like, he he didn't hate it, but he didn't care. And I remember basically, like, we were playing video games or something. And he wasn't really super interested in watching Saturday Night's Main Event. And I actually left the room that we were hanging out in together, found another TV in the house, and watched Saturday Night's Main Event by myself just to see this match. And I'm watching the match, and it's a match for the world title, the genius versus Hulk Hogan. And I'm watching the match, and I'm watching the match, and I'm thinking, one of these days, one of these days, Hogan, someone's going to take you down, and my money's on the genius. The genius is smart enough to do it. The genius knows, he knows how to get that belt out of your hands through brains and brawn. And I'm watching the match, and I'm watching the match, And the genius tricks Hulk Hogan into coming outside of the ring. And the genius has teamed up with another amazing uh, wrestler that I was a huge fan of back in the day, Mr. Perfect. But that's another story for another time. And between the two of them, they get Hogan outside of the ring. And then Mr. Perfect takes Hulk Hogan's title belt, knocks him out with it. And Hulk Hogan proceeds to lose the match by countout. The genius won. I just witnessed someone defeat Hulk Hogan in real time. And sure enough, he didn't actually win the belt because I think in WWF you can't win the belt on a countout. But the genius still won. We all know he won. We all know the genius is the smartest man in the World Wrestling Federation. And that memory, to this day, I just remember the the, the endorphin high of watching that. And... When you take it from a modern perspective, you take it from how people look at wrestling now, how a lot of it is just how, quote-unquote, good the, quote-unquote, in-ring work is, like how many moves people do and how, I guess, I don't even, don't even want to say realistically um, these moves are conveyed because that's not even, I, I guess it's how, how, how good someone's gymnastics are. It's kind of like become the modern um, uh, barometer for wrestling. And so by that um, metric, that Saturday Night's main event match between the Genius and the Hulk and Hulk Hogan, which I have not watched since then, since 1989, it was probably garbage. It was probably horrible, horrible. 
but I remember it more than some of the most good move, good match wrestling matches I've ever seen. I wouldn't be able to experience that now because part of it had to do with also being a kid. Um, and that stuff was made for kids. That style of wrestling was made for kids. And it was, just, it was the perfect age, right place, right time. Everything came together, but everything came together and crystallized into such a wonderful uh, memory that I don't know why. It, it, it warms my heart to this day to think of the genius, to think of the genius beating Hulk Hogan. Now, does that mean that Lanny Poffo was my friend? No. Does that mean that Lanny Poffo was a good person? Um, I've heard some of his, as they call them in the business, shoot interviews where he talks about things from his actual perspective, not a character. Sounds like a pretty sketchy individual, which is not surprising. Does it matter? No. What I loved was the performance. And what I shed a tear for now that this individual who performed that performance has expired is the performance. It's also a tear for that time in my life that I can never access once again. It's like cut off to me forever. It's that childhood. It's just the feeling, the, 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 the innocence that I can't recapture, the genie that can't be put into the bottle. And to all of that, to all of that, I say R.I.P., 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 R.I.P. Genius, R.I.P. Lanny Poffo, happy trails. You don't need to be my best friend. You don't need to be a great guy. But thank you for the memories, and thank you for the performance. And with that, this show is back, baby. I'm signing off right now, but I'll be back next time with a very special episode 99. Until then, this was very special episode 98. I hope you enjoyed, and oh yeah, I'm signing off.